0: Hey. <laughs> Today on the show, we're going to take our first look ahead to what the Seahawks are facing this offseason in regards to payroll and payroll allocation. Today on the show, we're going to take our first look ahead to the offseason and what the Seahawks are facing in regards to roster construction and specifically payroll allocation. Lots of concern about the state of the salary cap heading into next season, so I'm going to break it down for you. Who can they afford to keep? Who needs to go? How can they re-sign their own key players or afford to acquire some free agents? And how does all of that affect the quarterback position you might be surprised. We go behind the numbers, breaking down the 2024 salary cap for your Seattle Seahawks today on Seahawks forever. Welcome to the Seahawks forever podcast in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan VN. Welcome back, everybody. I have been asked Why I haven't done quite as many shows over the last couple of weeks. And I have an answer for you. You may have heard it before. Uh, I have been struck with some really, really unfortunate internet issues in my building. They may have to rewire um, the entire line coming into my apartment. It has uh, rusted out. There's a short-term fix. It will require them having to coordinate with building maintenance and remove the windows so they can access. It's, It's a mess. And so um, thank you in advance. Thank you, Starbucks, as I will have to be using their Wi-Fi to upload these shows. So hopefully you will be watching this Friday (laughs) at some point. Um, I'll be leaning a little more heavily on the audio side in the meantime. So if you don't already, on whichever podcast platform you prefer, um, check me out there and subscribe to the show there. And if you're a Spotify listener or if you're not, Um, But you want to listen to the show without any ads, you can do that and you can subscribe for uh, it's just 99 cents a month right now. You heard that right. 99 cents a month. You can get rid of all those ads and listen uh, on the audio side of which I will be doing a little bit more. In fact, uh, if you head over there today, uh, I'll do an actual preview and kind of look at what I think. Give you my thoughts on the matchup this Sunday in San Francisco as they prepare to take on the Red Hot 49ers for the second time this season. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like the video. And subscribe to the channel it supports the show and it lets you know anytime there is a new show and if you like what i do you can buy me a coffee or a beer that link is in the description so here's what's going on today i was asked earlier this week for my thoughts on the jamal adams situation and i wasn't sure i was going to address it um I tend to like to focus on what's happening with the team on the field or in the front offices and uh, and not get into a lot of that stuff unless it's absolutely necessary. And I wasn't sure if this was or not, but I've been asked, and so it got me thinking. Um, and so I will respond, but I'm going to respond in more of a big-picture way. So my immediate thoughts are <laughs> – Like, I'm just kind of over the Jamal Adams situation, right? I think a lot of us are. It's one thing to not be living up to your contract on the field, and a lot of that's not his fault. Like, I don't believe in injury-prone. The injuries he's sustained are really, really significant, serious, violent contact injuries that come from the way he plays and how hard he plays and the way he throws his body around, and that's one of the reasons that he became a player that the Seahawks desired um but the the fact of the matter is that even now that he's healthy he's not making enough of an impact on the field to justify his salary and so to go and and do the things that he did and pick a fight um not even pick a fight just kind of pile on and um you know in a in a very childhood recess manner go after this this reporter that that said something that he didn't like First of all, if you're a professional athlete making millions and millions of dollars, maybe have a little bit thicker skin, right? But also don't make it personal in public like that. Just don't. You want to reach out to that reporter? You want to have a conversation with him? Do that. That's the adult way to do things, right? So it makes, it makes him look terrible. Um, and it makes the organization look bad. An organization that is built on a foundation of character, and positive culture, right? So, uh, excuse me, those are my thoughts on that. But it just kind of adds to the, the, the question of, you know, should Jamal Adams be part of this roster long term moving forward just from a football perspective? And so I wanted to take a deeper, harder look to begin with on his contract status, because we know that they renegotiated his deal this year. They converted some salary to bonus. It freed up some salary cap space for the Seahawks so they could do some things. But in the process, it made it less desirable to cut him a little more painful, let's say, for them to cut him next year. And so I hadn't really seen specifically those numbers. I wanted to look at him. And that's what started this. So I went to over the cap.com and I started looking at the, the salary cap calculator and it didn't look as bad as I thought. And then I started looking down the list. And so I thought, you know, with five games left to play and the Seahawks now, uh, as we sit here today out of the playoff race and still facing two games over the next two weeks against the best teams in the NFC and, now they're battling some injuries. Geno Smith is limited in practice right now. Like the, Things aren't going well, right? Can we agree on that? <laughs> That's been the storyline of the show for the last month. And and now, as we sit here today, the Seahawks should be drafting 15th. So now we start thinking about draft scenarios. You've seen me. If you follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever, you've seen me start to do some mock drafts. So I don't think it's too early to think about the offseason. And a lot of you have said to me and on Twitter, Uh, you know, the Seahawks have made so many restructures and deals this year. They did it with Tyler Lockett, some other players as well that they've, they've borrowed against next year's salary cap. They don't have a lot of flexibility. We're kind of stuck with the roster. We have, they traded for Leonard Williams. They gave up a a valuable second round pick. They're not going to be able to resign him and bring him back. Jordan Brooks, the free agent, he's playing well. they want, they're not going to be able to do any of that. Uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm here to tell you, yes, they can. I'm going to break it down for you. So let's just get right into that. Shall we? First of all, uh, as the Seahawks sit here today, they have a little over six million, according to OTC, about six point three million. Trade deadline has come and gone. It's you know that money is is essentially not going to be spent. If they were to extend someone now, they could dip into that a little bit. They're not going to do that, and so first and foremost, they can roll that over to next year, right? Over the cap, currently showing the Seahawks with about $18 million next year in available cap space. That's what's got a lot of you nervous. It's not a lot. It's not, but it is. You can manipulate it, right? There are teams out there who could make it work. The New Orleans Saints certainly went into this offseason, last offseason, something like a $80 million over the salary cap. Made it work and acquired a quarterback in the process. But we know that John Schneider and, and Matt Thomas and those guys, they don't like to operate that way. They like to do shorter-term contracts, have cash and cap match so that they're in a fiscally responsible situation every year. Um, However, keep in mind that the salary cap will continue to go up. Numbers are better than ever in the NFL. And also that the Seahawks have quite a bit of dead money they're carrying this year that comes off the books for next year. And so they'll be operating next year essentially at their salary cap. Which this year they were not. 17.5 million dollars total in dead money this year. So they're not quite operating at the full NFL salary cap. Uh, and if you're asking, where's that dead money coming from? Is it Russell? No, nope, Russell Wilson's dead money's cleared off the books. It's Gabe Jackson, $4.8 million. Carlos Dunlap. How long ago does that seem like? 4.2 million. Shelby Harris 3.3, Quentin Jefferson 2 million, Al Woods 1.75, Chris Carson still a million and a half dollars in dead money counting against the cap. Now if you're asking why they still owe Carlos Dunlap money, remember that that they did break with their traditional approach to contract structure during uh the COVID years and they did some void years. So they could fit some of those guys on the cap. Uh next year as we look ahead to 2024, only $160,000 at this point in dead money, that's uh, Tyreek Smith, who they released and re-signed to the practice squad. So that gives them so currently 18 million for next year, they can roll over 6 million. That puts them in about 24, right? And I can sit here and argue, and this is a, a discussion for another day. I could sit here and argue and 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 convince you right now, and these are more technical issues that we'll have John Gilbert from Field Goals on to talk about at some point he's so good with salary cap um but basically that they could bring back Leonard williams and jordan brooks at that number but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit so let's talk about jamal adams first and foremost his salary cap charge for next year he would count 27 million dollars against the salary cap um now there's two ways that you could do that if you want to move on from him. There's pre-June 1st and there's post-June 1st. If you cut him after June 1st, you get to split up the dead money over the following yeah, the following two seasons. But I think in this case, I'm going to take the approach that the Seahawks would want to if they were to move on from Jamal Adams, either through trade or cut if you can find someone that you're not going to find anyone to take that contract. But if you could, it counts the same against the cap. So we're talking about a release here, right? That the Seahawks would want to uh, just take care of that bookkeeping as quickly as possible. So pre-June 1st, they would save $6 million. 21 million of it would be dead against the cap, right? That's a lot. That's a big hit to take. It's not ideal. But A, the cap's going to go up, and B, this roster is pretty set, right? Keep that in mind, and and I'll detail that a little bit at the end. There aren't a lot of, outside of Williams and Brooks, a couple other positions, it's a young roster, it's locked up, it's under control. And so you can commit, you, 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 this might be the year you can take that hit and they might've made that restructure with him knowing that the Seahawks, they have, they have a plan. John Schneider talks about it. You look in his, whether it's in his office or Matt Thomas's office, like they, they pencil things out three years when they made that adjustment to Adam's contract, they're thinking about scenarios. I would like to think that they made that move knowing that they would be willing to and able to take the hit if they move on from next year. But that's what it would look like just for those of you who know or who want to know. And and, and the, I guess the, the, best, the best way to look at it is this. If you're in the camp that you want to move on from Jamal Adams, if they don't, they're stuck with a $27 million cap hit if you have him on the roster. So the question then becomes, would they be better off not having him on the roster? And then you're only paying him, so to speak, $21 million. You get $6 million back to spend. $6 million can get you a veteran safety. Uh, That's not the direction I think they would go. So so that's Jamal Adams' situation. Uh, And just to... Just to let you know, if you did it after June 1st, then it splits it up much more favorably. The Seahawks it would free up 16.5 million dollars to spend against the cap, and only 10.4 million in dead money. But then it it moves 16 million in dead money onto the 2025 cap. Uh, I'm sorry, 11 million. $11 million. It'd be $10.4 million, uh dead money in 2024, $11 million in dead money in 2025. You would save $16.5 million next year and $16 million in 2025. And so that may be a way to go as well. You know, they might choose to do that because you'd get some benefit from it as well. Now, let's talk about the other safety because it has been a topic of conversation for two years now with Seahawks fans is Quandre Diggs living up to his contract. Now, he's in the last year, or he's entering into the last year of his deal. And so you don't have the post-June 1st option available to you because he's not under contract for 2025. So if you cut Quandre Diggs, $10.2 million in dead money, $11 million saved against the cap. So in total, if you moved on from both Adams and Diggs, we're talking about $31 million in dead money, but $17 million in savings. But Dan, who's going to play safety? Well, they signed Julian Love. He'd be entering into the second year of his deal with an $8 million cap hit. And then they have some young guys. They drafted Jarek Reed the second out of new Mexico this year in the sixth round he's hurt right now but he showed some flashes especially on special teams but there were a couple times he had to step in and play this year and he and near the end of the preseason looked like some things were clicking for him he flies around he's got great speed he's willing to hit and then don't forget about the practice squad right they have Ty Okada who they've undrafted free agent who they've elevated a couple of times this year and Jonathan Sutherland the kid out of Penn State that was getting starter reps at the end of OTAs. And then he got banged up a little bit in training camp. But even then, there were, were, you know, Bob Condota did a story at one point. Other veterans were talking about how he looks like a veteran on the field. Just raving about Jonathan Sutherland. He was waived with an injury designation at the end of training camp, but they were able to bring him back. He is on the practice squad. They could sign him to a futures deal. And then there's Colby Bryant, who's back now and he's healthy. And remember, the Seahawks essentially converted him to safety at the end of training camp. And I thought in the little bit that we saw that it looked like a big-time career move for him. That at outside corner, we saw him struggle a little bit early on as a rookie before they moved him inside to nickel. He just doesn't have the dynamic athletic skills and the lateral skills and the burst and quickness to play outside corner. And certainly that's a deep position for the Seahawks. He wasn't going to crap, crack that rotation. But he looked like a safety and he looked like a guy that the Seahawks could get something out of. You go into next season with Julian Love and Colby Bryant as your starting safeties with Jonathan Sutherland, Ty Okada, Jarek Reed, some combination of that behind him. You want to go out and sign a, a veteran as well, or draft another guy, even draft another guy in the with one of those third-round picks, a guy that can play as a rookie, okay. For those of you who want to move on from Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, doesn't think Diggs covers the ground he used to or doesn't make the impact plays that he used to, doesn't match a production, doesn't match the salary, then how do you feel about that group that they already have on hand if you knew it would also free up $17 million to go spend? So that's where the safety room sits. There's just they simply have to reallocate those funds. And personally, I would rather have that dead money sitting against the cap knowing that it's finally going to be taken care of and reallocated by 2025 into other areas trenches that the Seahawks need to focus their payroll on. It just it's hamstrung them in so many ways. Paying that safety group so much money And when you look at that, though, I'll look at it one last way. For those of you who were wringing your hands and just couldn't understand why they would commit $8 million to Julian Love when they were already paying so much to Diggs and Adams, and that's too much to add to the safety room, you know, if they do this, then won't you be glad that they have Julian Love? Under contract. Uh, There are some other opportunities to save some money heading into next year. And uh, a couple of these I put, into the no-brainer category, personally. Will Disley will be a $10 million cap hit next year. That cannot happen. Will Disley's a nice player. They really like him. He's in the locker room. They overpaid for him, and especially they overpaid for him in relation to how he's being used. They don't throw him the ball anymore, and there have been some key downs, some key third and shorts and fourth downs over the last few weeks where they're not even using him for what, he supposedly does best the strength of his game and what he does best than the other tight ends on the roster, and that's block. Sure, would have been nice to have Will Disley in on that fourth and two play against Dallas, wouldn't it? Have instead of letting just instead of letting Micah Parsons run free and blow the play up. Uh, Three million dollars would be dead money. You'd save seven million million by cutting Disley. Um, Look, if he wants to do another extension and 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 it's for a lot lower cap hit because he doesn't think there's much of a market out there for him, great. I like Will Disley, the player. I don't like that player at that salary. Uh, Brian Monet is another one. Now, he's a $6.1 million cap hit next year, but I'll say this. For the needs that the Seahawks have on the defensive line and how much of a focus that still needs to be next offseason, if Brian Monet can come back and there's been some speculation that the leg injury that he suffered last year is just so severe that he, at his size, he may never come back. If that's the case, then fine. They would probably reach an injury settlement with him. Uh, He gets to walk away with some money and some benefits and the team still gets to save some money. But right now he's a $6.1 million cap hit. None of that's guaranteed. If you cut him, you'd save 5.9, almost all of that. Let's say 6 million. And if he's not 100% healthy, you've got to do that. It's a no-brainer. Now, if you do an injury settlement, then it won't be quite that much that you clear. But if Brian Bonet is 100% healthy going into next year, that's like adding another draft pick, and that's that's a guy that I want to keep on the roster. But at that point, also coming off injury, uh, they may be able to restructure his deal as well. Nick Ballore is a $2.8 million cap hit. You've heard me talk about it over and over and over again. This guy should not be on the roster at that dollar amount. He just shouldn't. Nice special teams player, great. Doesn't contribute at all in any other way. And we have other guys that can play special teams for a lot less money. Uh, and then a couple minor moves. You can move D. Eskridge off the roster and save a million and a half. That's not nothing. And uh, Derek Young would be uh, just under a million dollars on his own. If you make all of those moves, the cap, the available cap space next year goes up to 64 million dollars that's a lot it's particularly a lot of money for a roster that is as balanced and young as the Seahawks roster right you have to find a or decide who your starting left guard is next year, presuming they move on finally from Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford takes over as the starter at right guard. You know, they may or may not bring Evan Brown back as a guy that can play guard and center, but I would hope that Olu Oluwatimi, the fifth-round pick out of Michigan this year, would take over as a starting center next year on a rookie contract. So Damian Lewis, impending free agent at left guard, there are two schools of thought. A little bit of a polarizing player. Is he good or is he not? Is he worth bringing back or is he not? If he hits the open market, is he going to get paid like some of the top guards in the league? There are some who think so. The Seahawks like him enough to try and bring him back? Or can you draft a guy there? Um, It's an interesting uh, question. That, that, that It's one of the sneaky needs heading into the offseason. But other than that, you need to figure out who your tight ends are because Noah Fant is at the end of his deal. Colby Parkinson is as well. Um, You know, I don't want to pay Fant market value since they just don't use their tight ends. And and again, so all of this is presuming that no staff changes, right? For now, the only way I can look at this and really do this exercise is, you know, Pete Carroll's back, Shane Wall, they, they run it back. And they count on some growth. Tight ends just aren't used well enough to allocate a bunch of money to them. And they have Tyler Mabry and they still they picked up uh, Brady Russell this year uh, from the Eagles. He's a promising guy. You restructure Disley, um, you draft a guy. You know, there's some needs in the tight end room, There's some need for clarification. And you're starting left guard. Outside of that, it's Leonard Williams, Jordan Brooks. That's it. So $64 million, you can do all those things. You can re sign Jordan Brooks, re sign Leonard Williams. At market value, still have money to address guard. You can bring back Damian Lewis if you want to. Because remember, when you do deals with guys, you know, three-year deals, the first year cap hit's going to be the lowest. And so that's all possible. And it's it's why I've been telling those of you who don't like the Leonard Williams deal because you don't like not having a second-round pick because you think he's going to walk and get big money somewhere else. He's not. He'll get good money. So I took a look at the the market, impending free agents. Leonard Williams is going to be 30 years old next year. He's not a guy that racks up. He had the one big sack year, 2019, I think. He doesn't rack up a lot of flashy sacks. He's a he's a blue-collar. He's a guy that, that impacts other players along the line he's an upgrade for the seahawks he's a guy that i think they acquire because they want him here long term as a foundational type player but you look at other you know, look at the top of the interior defensive line market obviously it's aaron donald that's a 31 million dollar average annual value but you look at the guaranteed money it's 15 and guaranteed he's not gonna get anywhere near that he's not and, and if you think that that's how he's thought of, ESPN did a breakdown two weeks ago of their 25 impending free agents in the NFL that they think are going to get paid this offseason. Leonard Williams was not on that list. They even did five honorable mention. He was not in that list. Again, no big sack numbers. He's not flashy. He'll be 30 years old. He's on his third team. I tried to find a comp of a guy who was 30 and kind of had his production and played his his style at his position. And the nearest I could come up with was uh, Fletcher Cox. I think he's now 34 on a one-year deal for $10 million with the Eagles. But during his age, 29 to 31 years, he was 14 to $15 million. And, you know, know, salaries have gone up a little bit since then. But salaries tend to go up at the very top of the market, right? They get reset. Nick Bosa and guys similar to the quarterback market. But the middle of the market stays about the same. And I think that's where Leonard Williams is going to be. I think the Seahawks would have no problem writing him a deal that pays him about that much. Three years, $45 million, something like that. 30 of it guaranteed. I don't know. I think they're going to make it happen. I think players are going to want to stay unless there's unless there's a mass staff change. I think he's going to want to be here and I think they're going to want to keep him. And then same with Jordan Brooks. Uh, we like how he's playing this year, although he might not play this week. It's on the injury report, hasn't practiced. So we'll see the impact of not having him out there, right? And the difference between he and Devin Bush. But especially given the fact that, you know, Bobby might move on. This might be his last year. Jordan Brooks is, is a very good, very good linebacker who I don't think is going to get top of top of the market range. Right now, the highest paid linebackers are Roquan Smith has the highest average annual value at $20 million a year. The highest average guarantee is Tremaine Edmonds of the Bears, and that's only $10 million. And there's a bunch of free agents that are about Brooks's age that are going to be free agents this offseason and kind of flood the market a little bit. The value of linebackers, we saw it this last offseason with some other guys that were free agents. It's come down a little bit, right? It's Sort of similar to safeties where the very, very top guys are going to get paid, but the next tier get good money, but it's not earth-shattering money. Uh, other free agents, Devin White, Patrick Queen, who was drafted the same year as Brooks, Kenneth Murray, Taki Takitaki, Blake Cashman, Isaiah Simmons. There's going to be competition. Some of those guys do some things that Brooks doesn't. You know, Simmons gets sacks and kind of plays some safety in a hybrid role. There's there's guys that have a little bit higher profile than Brooks does. But let's say his is in the $8, 9000000 million range, even if it's 10. With that much cap space available, you can bring both those guys back, especially with a low year one cap hit and still have money to spend. Still be able to go out and acquire players. With that much cap space, you could make a play for Chris Jones if you want to. Probably in lieu of Leonard Williams in that case, right? But you see my point. And here's the thing. All of that all of that is without even touching Geno Smith's contract. $31 million cap hit next year for Geno. If you cut him, it saves another $14 million. Why didn't I write down the exact numbers? I, I wrote, to, I in my notes, I have the, the cap with him on the roster and without him. If you move on from Gino, then you would ultimately clear $77.5 million in cap space. That's how much available cap space you would have, including what's available now, what you roll over from this year, and all those moves that I detailed. So you can keep Gino and still have $64 million in cap space or move on from him and you'll have $77.5 million. So don't tell me the Seahawks can't do things. Let's paint that scenario, shall we? Your safeties would be Julian Love and Colby Bryant. Assuming no one else is acquired with Jonathan Sutherland, Jarek Reed, Ty Okada. Next on the depth chart. You'd bring back Leonard Williams. You'd bring back Jordan Brooks. Let's assume no Bobby Wagner next year. So you have to acquire a middle linebacker. Do you move Brooks back over to Mike? I don't know. I think I kind of like him better on the weak side. Do you like Devin Bush enough? Maybe he's the guy you'd have to go out and acquire a middle linebacker or draft one. So that'll dip into that. But you can bring Brooks and Williams back. So how would you feel about the defense today? If they were heading into to face the 49ers and the Eagles and then the Titans, Steelers, Cardinals, the next five games with love and Bryant at safety, and everybody, and Brooks healthy, would you feel worse about that with Adams and Diggs on the sideline? If they were to get hurt today and not play this weekend, would you feel okay with those guys playing back there? And now with the flexibility it gives you financially. You'd be able to find a starting guard or decide on one or bring Lewis back, fill out the tight end room. At that point, if, if Gino continues to play the way he's played the last couple of weeks and he finishes out the year solidly enough, the organization may still just feel like he's he's the guy for next year and we're a couple of players away and we can afford to get those players. Do you feel better about the salary cap situation now if you make those moves? Now, you've heard me say and I'm going to continue to say it. I think the opportunity is there this year to acquire your next Franchise quarterback, do the Green Bay Packer thing, the Kansas City Chief thing, get him now. But with this kind of financial flexibility, you can afford to bring Geno back next year at his full cap hit if you want to. You can redo the deal again and still draft a guy in the first round and have him ready. Oh, that's too much money to spend on on quarterbacks then. With Geno's $31 million cap hit next year, and if the, if the draft was today and the Seahawks take one of those quarterbacks at 16, last year's 16th pick, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback, commanders, $2.8 million cap hit. That's $34 million combined in your quarterback room. That's less than they're paying their quarterbacks today because they're paying Drew Locke high-end backup money. What do you think? Kind of fun. I love doing this kind of stuff. I love the tools that we have to be able to do this. Go to over the cap, play around with some of those ideas yourself. Um, you can even suggest restructures to free up space and keep players. I'm not smart enough to figure that. <laughs> uh, I'm Dan Vance. Thanks again for watching the show and supporting it. As you do like, and subscribe on the YouTube channel. If you're listening on audio, uh, subscribe there so you can follow me, you get notifications of new episodes. And uh, and I'll remind you once again, if you don't want to listen to those ads on the audio side, you can subscribe for 99 cents a month on Spotify. I'll put that link in the description. And on the audio side, I'll do a, a brief little uh, look ahead to the, to the 49er game this Sunday. Uh, hell of an opportunity for an upset. Obviously it would change everything. I'll be back next week in one form or another. Internet, be damned to break it all down for you. Until then, forever and always, go hot.